Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, I want to thank Matt Dutton for taking the lead today in our uh, music ministry in uh, regard to uh, Larry's uh, laryngitis or laryngitis, whichever that is. <clears throat> but uh, he is, uh, hopefully we'll get back on the mend. Uh, you know, Larry is... Uh, dealing with several aging issues, and uh, <clears throat> we love him, uh, but we love all old people here at uh, North Florida, and, and uh, Larry, you're just one of them, brother, and God bless you. Well, we have just finished a series, and the series was titled, um, there was the Sermon on the Mount series, and uh, we've just finished that, and the next Sunday is Mother's Day. And so I, I didn't want to begin a new series now, so we're, we're kind of in between series for just a little bit. We'll be dealing with some things, and then I'll pick up a series majoring on the DNA of uh, our church and our ministry. The DNA, I believe, of this ministry is truth, love, and worship, and uh, we will be looking at that really over an extended period of time, maybe uh, bringing uh, three mini-series, one uh, mini-series on truth, one on love, and, and one on worship, because I believe that in the end, that's who we are, that's who we uh, should be. The message that I want to bring to you today is simply a message about your Christianity, and if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 11 and verses 22 through 26, if you have an um, iPad or a, a smartphone, you can uh, go through um, version and uh, look, search for live events, and you'll be able to get today's outline on version. And uh, if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you want an app for it, then just search the app for North Florida Baptist Church, and you can get to it that way. I hope you'll utilize the um, apps that we have available to you. The title of the message today, Christianity, the text, Acts 11, 22 through 29. One day a lady was vacationing in the southern part of England and she sat by an open window and all of a sudden the, uh, the aroma of uh, the world around her changed considerably. If you ever are visiting in a rural place, you know that the aromas can change from time to time. However, this was a pleasant aroma and she looked all around the house to discover where it was coming from, but she couldn't find any explanation from it. The only thing that she saw was a few people uh, walking down the street. And so she asked the lady that uh, owned the house, she said, where does that wonderful smell come from? And she said, well, those are the people who work in the perfume factory on the other end of the village. They live in that fragrance all day, and when they leave the factory that evening, they bring it with them. What a beautiful uh, illustration of the way that Christianity is supposed to work. That's how the testimony of a believer should be. We should live in it all day, and then as we walk about, the, the fragrance of that which we've been living should go uh, with us. In our text, we're going to find that the term Christian was, the, was one that was first uh, used in a place called Antioch as the locals were trying to find a way to describe the people who had an entirely different spirit about them. They had a different air uh, in their lives, if you will. Verse 22 of Acts 11, uh, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the church. So Barnabas went to Tarsus uh, to look for Saul, and when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people uh, in Antioch. And the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch they were first called Christians. I don't know if you like to be called a Christian. I certainly do. I, I think to be called a Christian is a, uh, is, is a positive thing, especially when it's spoken in a, a positive light. It carries with it an implied reputation that goes along or should go along with being a born-again believer. A lot of people have been born again, but maybe they have not developed their reputation as a Christian. And if we're saved, we ought also to have a reputation as a believer. It's a good thing when friends and neighbors, when colleagues and acquaintances know us as Christian people. And it should also sting just a little bit uh, when others do not respect our profession of being a Christian. There's two different ways for someone to say that you're a Christian. They can say, you're a Christian, or they can say, you're a Christian. They can say it one of two different ways. And the slight nuance in the way that they say it will tell you a lot about how you are living your faith. One of our goals as a believer is for others to notice that we are believers, to notice that we are Christians, not to call attention to ourselves, but to call attention to Jesus Christ, to the one that we serve. And having the essence of Christianity is more a matter of who we are than what we do. It's a, more a matter of how we live and then living in the presence of God than trying to uh, spritz a little God on our lives in the morning and again in the afternoon. What was it about the way of Paul's life for the life of the believers at Antioch that caused them to receive the label as Christians? What was it about their lives that caused other people to say, we're going to call those people Christians. There's something about them that we call Christian. It was a good testimony. Certainly it was a reputation that supported their, their claims. And this morning I want to speak to you about Christianity, specifically how you would be marked as a Christian. Aside from wearing crosses around our necks and, and other marks, how would we be known as a believer? Well, here's the first thing. Living by God's Word. That's the way. Living by God's Word. Acts eleven twenty six again. And when he had found them, he brought them to Antioch. Uh, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. These people were established as Christians. They were established as Christians by an intense study and an application of the Word of God. The Word of God is what gained them their reputation as believers. Doing the Word of God, living the Word of God. But it, it began on the Word of God. We learn to live the Christian life in the Word of God. There are those who make the uh, the words of poets and philosophers and novelists equal to the Word of God. But the Bible has no equal. The other day, one of you brought to me a, uh, a sermon, uh, a written sermon, 
and asked me if I would, uh, would read it. And I read the sermon, and uh, you, you wanted my opinion because you thought that you might share my opinion, and you did. I read the sermon, and in the sermon, the, uh, the pastor who was preaching the sermon, not in this state, not even near this state, the pastor who was preaching the sermon identified the works of poets and the works of the, the author of a book called The Shack and other works. He identified them and gave them equal plane with the Word of God. He would quote the Word of God, the poet, and the shack interchangeably. And he would make it of equal uh, importance. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. Whether it's the songs that we sing or the sermons that we preach or the studies that we hold, they must be founded on the Word of God. And I want to just say a word to you here. This is, this is not meant to be a, a, um, a criticism. This is just a, an enlightenment, hopefully, to you. You'd, you'd better be very, very cautious about how you decide on the church that you want to attend. More and more people are attending churches based on the style of worship, pure and simple, based on the style of worship. They are, they are looking and saying, okay, we want to attend this church based on the style of worship. Now, I understand that the style of worship is important to you, and it's important to me. But could I tell you this? It's not vital to Christianity. The Word of God is vital to Christianity. That's the vital thing. That's the key thing. Very, very important. Here's, here's what is happening. You know how that in, in public education, the testing in public education has dumbed down the expectation of the young people who go to school. You understand that? You know how that now they, they, they write a test and they hope that, uh, that they can teach to the test so that they don't lose their funding. And, and so if they lose their funding, then they adjust the test and adjust the test and adjust the test. Here's what we've got to be very careful of. We've got to be careful that as believers, we do not uh, dumb down uh, what it means to be a Christian. Uh, we, we, as believers, we've got to be careful that we don't dumb down what it means to be a believer. A lot of times today, we're looking at, at things that, that do not matter, really. I mean, you can take it or you can leave it. I, I have, and back to the music thing, and this isn't a message about music, but back to the music thing, I, I can go to where there's absolutely uh, traditional music, but if the Word is God of God, and if the Word is God is preached, I can get a blessing, and I, and, and I can be fed. I won't tell you this, I can go to where I don't recognize the music. I don't recognize anything about the music. But when it gets to the Word of God, if it is preached, I know that it can build my Christian life. I know that it can build my spiritual life. You say, but preacher, I like some better than the other. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. But I would say this to everybody. I I would love to stand in some pulpits today right in our city of, of churches that are majoring on the style. They're so hung up on the style that they have forgotten the vitality of the Word that they've forgotten that it's based on the Word that you gain your Christianity. It's not based on how you tap your foot or if you stand or sit or if they praise and and worship or if somebody stands up and goes down, left, right, up. It's based on the Word of God. And that is the truth for granny and that's the truth for grandchildren. It is the absolute truth. 
And I would encourage you as leaders in your families, I would encourage you to lead your families to understand the importance of the Word of God. The Bible must guide our lives if we are to be known as Christians. And remember, always remember that our walk talks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And you can say, I listen to the Word of God, but if you don't walk the Word of God, then that is louder than talking the Word of God. If we're believers, we must be people of the Word. And if we claim the Word, it should apply to our lives. There must be an application to our lives if we're believers. It must work that way. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me wander from your uh, let me not wander from your commandments i have stored up your word in my heart that i might not sin against you blessed are you o lord teach me your statutes with my lips i declare all the rules of your mouth in the way of your testimonies i delight as much as in all riches i will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways i will delight in your statutes i will not forget your word To be known as a believer is to live the Word of God, to have principles in your life based on the Word of God. We have a lot of principles in our lives, and they come to us a lot of different ways. Some of them are political principles. My principle is this because of my political persuasion. My principle is that because of my political persuasion. Sometimes we have political principles. Sometimes our principles aren't political, they are, uh, they are uh, economical. We're always going to make sure that, that we uh, make investments this way or that way or, or whatever it must be. You know, we watch, we watch uh, TV advertisements about people selling gold, and I don't mind you having gold, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But, but they, what they're basically doing is they're, they're teaching a whole philosophy on gold. And, and they, they uh, uh, I could go on and on, but the, the point that I'm making is this, whether it's an economic philosophy or a political philosophy or whatever it may be, the overriding, the overriding thing must be that we live by the Word. So the first point is that we live by the Word of God. From the payment of bills to the way that we keep our lawns to the power of of testimony, it, it just can't be overstated. Are you a Christian? You say, well, I'm born again. But do your the people who live around you, do the people who interact with you, do the people who know you, do they identify you as a Christian? Would they say, you're a Christian? Or would they say, you're a Christian? Which would it be? So we live by the Word. Here's the second thing. Stand by your Word. If you're going to be a believer, then stand by your Word. You know, that's something that's going away in our society. Just the power of the Word. I, uh, this is probably not a great illustration uh, to use, but uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons 
the, the guy that wrote most of the songs for Frankie Valli, most of the songs that, they, that, that Frankie Valli became rich on, shook hands with Frankie Valli on the, on the uh, contract agreement. And that's all the contract that they've ever had. And they both have become fabulously wealthy based on a handshake contract. That's the, that's the absolute truth. One of them lives in Nashville. And he's a really, really rich guy in Nashville. All because of a handshake contract. Well, there's not a lot of that today. In fact, if, if you do something on a handshake today, you're, you're pretty much asking for trouble. Because people are not people of their word as they once were. Today we do things like misspeak. Well, I misspoke. We break promises. We'll just outright lie. You heard. You have heard on television. You've heard people uh, in in the political world look right straight at a group of reporters and say, "I don't know what you're talking about." And that's been going on for a long, long time. We have a member of our church who was many years ago in Cambodia. Uh, And he was in Cambodia as a person in military. And he was executing exercises in Cambodia as having been sent there, a person of the military. He came home from Cambodia Two days later, sitting in his den with the television on, heard President Nixon say, we are not in Cambodia. We have no plans to go into Cambodia, and we've never been in Cambodia. And he'd just gotten back from Cambodia. Here's, here's the thing that you can count on. This idea of not keeping your word is neither Republican nor Democrat. You can count on that. If you say, well, I'm a Democrat because we always keep our word. Mm-mm. You say, that's right, preacher. That's why I'm a Republican. We always keep our word. Mm-mm. The, the, the only thing that would really cause you to keep your word would be your character. And the only thing that really ought to build our character is our Christianity. And the only thing that can really build our Christianity is having a relationship to the Word. That helps us to keep our Word. We shirk responsibilities, we renege on business agreements, and on and on and goes. The only way to stand by your Word is to stand by your Word. And you'll be known as a Christian. You will. I realize that Christianity is waning somewhat in our country today, but I'm here to tell you, if you're a person who stands by your word, the first impression that others will have of you is that you must be a Christian. Christian scholar and writer C.S. Lewis was determined to pay what he had vowed. His biography tells of the suffering that he endured because he kept a promise that he had made to a buddy during World War I. This friend was worried about the care of his wife and small daughter should he get killed in battle. So Lewis assured him that if that were to happen, uh, he would look after them. And as the war dragged on, indeed the man was killed 
True to his word, Lewis took care of his friend's family. Yet no matter how helpful he tried to be, the woman was ungrateful, she was rude, she was arrogant, she was domineering. Yet throughout it all, Lewis kept forgiving her. He refused to let her actions become an excuse to renege on his promise. Now that's standing by your word. You want to be known as a believer? You want to be known as a Christian? Well, stand by your word. Just stand by it. Live by it. Have you ever felt that that you would rather do business with a non-believer as get mixed up with a believer? Larry and Susie, you, you had a bad experience on a remodel job at your house because somebody came to do a remodel job for you under the name of being a believer, your brother and sister in Christ. Real bad situation. I thought about that this morning. Real bad situation for you. Others have had the same thing. You, you paid people who represented themselves to be believers money to do something for you, and then you think, where in the world they go? Or those of you who are in business, you've gone and, and done work for people that you knew were believers. And, and I mean, it was, it was like you had to be a WWE wrestler and pin them to the mat in order to get the money out of them. Now, I want to tell you something. That'll kill your testimony right there. That'll kill it. I mean, when, when, when you live that life that, that you make an obligation to someone and you agree to something with someone and then you fail to fulfill your obligation to them, they will, they will not only question your character but your Christianity. And it's funny how that gets flipped around. Sometimes when, when a believer will do business with another believer, then fail to pay that believer or deal with that believer, and that other believer comes to him and says, look, I, I've, you've, you've got to, I sold you this car, and <clears throat> you've got to pay for this car. And you say, well, I can't, I'm going to have to repossess. You're a Christian. You would repossess my car? That's, that's a little like meddling, isn't it? But it happens. I mean, this service right here goes out <clears throat> to thousands of homes around the southeast and in other places. And I can promise you that there are people who are listening to this point right now in living rooms and maybe in this auditorium who are just squirming saying, Preacher, please go to another point. <clears throat> this one is not comfortable. See, that's all part of the, the word thing. <clears throat> the truth of the word is going to make you uncomfortable sometimes. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. As a believer, <clears throat> we should be people who we run to fulfill our obligations and responsibilities. Oftentimes, people <clears throat> will use the name of Christ inappropriately. On the other side of that issue is the willingness of people to take advantage of people who have the name of Christ. For believers who do not <clears throat> keep their promises <clears throat> or tell the truth or pay their bills, it would be better not to mention Christ. In fact, this, if, if you're that person, I'm just going to say this, 
if you're that person and, and you get into it with somebody over not paying your bills and they say something like, you're a Christian? Please tell them you're a Muslim. <laughs> and that they're infidels. That would be better for the cause of Christ. I'm serious. I, I, I don't want you to do that. But, <clears throat> but hy- hypothetically speaking, that'd be better for the cause of Christ. I ought to be getting a lot of amens from businessmen right here because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm saying. It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Christianity is more than knowing the Bible and going to church. It is living a life guided by the Word, which in turn causes us to stand by our Word. Here's your verse in Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Live by God's Word. Living by the Word, standing by your Word. Here's the third thing, holding to one Word. A man was attending a major league baseball game, and he caused some agitation with some people around him because it didn't matter who hit the ball or made a good play. He stood and cheered. And they finally, somebody said something to him, said, what's wrong with you? And he said, I live out in the country. He said, I don't get to come to these games very often. I'm going to cheer for both teams so I go home happy. <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of Christians do. They, they talk and act like Christians when they're around believers, but if they're not around believers, then they talk and act like an unbeliever. <clears throat> so they get to go home happy. There, there are two ways that Christians live by a double standard. Maybe more than two, but at least two, and I'll give you these. <clears throat> First of all, they're double-minded. James 1.8 says, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Some Christians can't get a testimony going because they can't decide which way to head. They can't decide which way to go. The, the only way to remedy this is to make a decision. You just have to decide. Somewhere along the way, you have to decide, all right, this is the way that I'm going to live. <clears throat> this is the way that I'm going to go. And until you do, your testimony won't be worth sharing because your Christianity won't be distinguishable. You, you, you have to make a choice somewhere. This is my mind. This is my heart. This is the direction that I will take. This is who I am. And then go with that. And just, just go with it. Joshua found that taking a stand was exactly what he needed to do to draw a line. In Joshua 24, 15, he said, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fathers served on the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites uh, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. You just have to decide that. You just have to make up your mind and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the way I'm going to go. This is the plan that I'm sticking to. You have to just decide. 
Have you come to that? He said, well, Pastor Ray, we came to Sunday morning service. I know you did, and I'm thankful that you did, and I want you to come back next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. But there are many people who come to Sunday morning service who leave it there and don't take it with them. And there has to be a decision somewhere. And, and you, you say, well, I, I want it both ways. I think I can have it all. I can have it all. Well, here's what Jesus said. No servant can serve two masters. For he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Your testimony and mine depend on our ability to hold to one word. We should never be double-minded. Here's the other thing. We shouldn't be guilty of double talk either. The Bible says a lot about our need to speak straight and not be double-tongued. This has nothing to do with the dexterity of our tongue over in in St. Augustine at Ripley's, believe it or not, they've got a mirror there and uh, information about the tongue and people who can flip their tongue over and do this, that, and the other. And they got a mirror for you to see if you can do it. And then you go around the wall and find out that other people are watching you because it's a one-way mirror. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't get caught in that more than once. Leaders in the church have to be serious about what they say. It's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy of dishonest gain. There has to be a, a consistency in our words. The book of James speaks to this with clarity. James 3 and verse 10, for the same, for the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Really. I'm I'm really serious about it. How How many of you in here have something? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of you in here have something that really eats your lunch? really get you. I mean, really get you. This just crawls all over you. That can be anything. How many of you that when you come into the presence of this, whatever this thing is that eats your lunch that gets all over you, how many of you, you go into a whole different mode? You're just different. Because it just, you shut down. You become cynical and bitter and critical, maybe. You know what I'm saying? All of us do. All of us do. And and here's the issue with that. The issue with that is that from our same mouth comes blessing and cursing from our same mouth. I, I really hesitate to make illustrations, but, but all of us have these things. I mean, there, there are things that when they come on television, 
they just turn me inside out. Just turn me inside out. You too. But the truth is that we can't have God bless you and God curse you coming out of the same mouth. It's like that proverbial bless your heart. You know, in the South we say, well, bless your heart. And that has a, just a bunch of meanings. Everything from I hope you die to bless your heart. And, and we can't, we're not allow, <clears throat> allowed to do that. We should only speak the truth of God from our lives. We should only speak a, an honesty of our lives. When people call us a Christian, it should be to the glory of God, not to the shame of who we are. We should speak and live the truth. We should demonstrate the love of God. We should worship the Lord and, and with our praise and with our lives. Let me close with this illustration. Dwayne and David were best friends. The two men spent a lot of time together. Then one day Dwayne went to a church and he found salvation. And everyone who knew Dwayne saw a tremendous, a miraculous transformation in his life. He was a changed man. He invited his friend David to church, and David went to church with Dwayne. Later that week, the pastor went to see David, and he found out that he had been planning at one time on becoming a Catholic priest. However, when he studied church history, he came to the conclusion that there was no God. And let me just pull over and say this, that in a lot of churches and denominations and religions, there are times that if you took a slice of that church, denomination, or religion, you took a slice of that and held it up and said, this is what our church, religion, or denomination is, people would say, well, there must not be a God. I mean, that, that's just the facts. No church is 100% 100% of the time. No religion, no denomination. He studied Catholic history. There's some pretty tough times in Catholic history. So he just decided that there was no God. And for 15 years, David had been an atheist. And the pastor was amazed because David had written on his visitor's card, I'm looking for a church home. So David continued to talk, and what had happened became clear. He said, Dwayne is my best friend. We've been together a lot. Anyone that didn't know Dwayne before could never believe the change that has taken place in his life. It was evident to me that it's impossible for Dwayne to change like he did unless someone helped him. Because of the change I see in his life, I have to believe there's a God. David went on and received Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he got saved because of the gospel according to Dwayne.
What gospel is your life preaching? What's the gospel according to Laura? Just by the people who know Laura. What's the gospel according to Jim? What's the gospel according to Michelle? Based on the gospel that others read in your life, what's the gospel according to Joe and Mindy? What's the gospel according to Richard and Sandy? We all know the gospel, but those who don't know the gospel and only know you, what's the gospel according to you? What's the gospel according to Margaret? What's the gospel according to Tom? What is the gospel according to you? What's the gospel according to Regina? What's the gospel according to Rich? What is the gospel? What's the gospel according to your life? What does it preach to your family? When your children look at you, what is the gospel according to daddy? What is the gospel according to mom? When your circle of friends study your life, what's the gospel according to your friendship? At work, there is a gospel being preached by you. At home, there is a gospel being preached by you. In your circle of friends, there's a gospel being preached by you. At the golf course, there's a gospel being preached by you. At the Bible study, there's a gospel being preached by you. On vacation, there's a gospel being preached by you. Whatever your gospel is that's being preached just according to the life that you're living, that's the degree that you're known as a Christian. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They're still called Christians today. It's just the nuance has been changed. Some will say, you're a Christian. Others will say, you're a Christian. Let our gospel preach the confirmation of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.